how you pronounce it. John Allen Chaw uh, was an American missionary. And he was a missionary who traveled to a very remote island in recent months to a tribe uh, in the Bay of Bengal. And he, in that island, at that island, he sought to share Christ. Now, he went to great efforts, and this is a young man who graduated from Oral Roberts University. Uh, he was known to go to third world countries and coach soccer leagues for young people. Um, he had a passion to share Christ. And he believed that God had called him to a remote island, the Andaman Island in North Sentinel. And he believed that God had called him to share Christ to the Sentinelese, say that three times, people. Now, if you've read the story, what you know is that um, John actually kept a diary. And this diary was recovered and given to his mother. And his mother, in recent days, shared this diary, his recordings. He shared a few different things that I'd like to share with you this morning. He shared things. He was from Washington State, and he went to this island, and this island was off limits. And, and even the, the, um, the police in that region would not allow people to go onto this island because it was so dangerous. It was not a place that people would go because people had went and they had been killed. But John was determined to go and share the message of Christ. His entry, the first day he landed on the island, which he had to hire somebody and pay them $325 to go and take him, a private fisherman, to go because no other vessel would go, was allowed to go. And so he snuck in the dead of night onto this island. He recorded his first encounter with the people on that island. And it went something like this as he hollered at this isolated tribe of people. My name is John. I love you. And Jesus loves you. It also shared that even in an early encounter is that he was shot with an arrow that actually penetrated his Bible. Now, as we think about this story of John Chaw... It's easy, perhaps, for us to think, why in the world would you do such a thing? He says in one of his entries, you guys might think I'm crazy in all this, but I think it's worthwhile to declare Jesus to these people. In one of his last entries, he said, why does this beautiful place have to have so much death? This tribe was known for killing anybody who sought to enter. And then he wrote, I hope this isn't one of my last notes, but if it is, to God be the glory. John was killed. He was shot with an arrow by the tribe of the Sentinelese people. He had encountered them a few times. Now, like we often do, is we try to find blame and get when someone has a deep conviction about sharing Christ and gets hurt in the process. In fact, there are people who've been arrested. The drivers of the fishing boats have been arrested. 
And so the family came out and released a statement and said, our son John had such a passion to share the gospel of Christ. And he had nothing for love but these people that he really didn't know well at all and only began to know. But they said, we want you to relieve my death. It was my choice. But nothing was going to stop him. I believe he would have swam if he had to. That's the kind of man it sounded like he was. He was that convicted by God to share the gospel. But they said, release them. This isn't about blaming anybody. This was John's choice. He made the choice. He believed God wanted him to do it. It's interesting because we share a story like this and it brings a lot of emotions in me. I would imagine in you as well. On the one side, we think, oh my goodness, to have the compassion and the heart and the courage, knowing you're likely going to die, to go to a remote part or even out your door or to a part of an inner city full of gangs and crime and share the gospel. How noble What a way to die, we might say. But then there's this other side of us, and it's that rational side, isn't it? It's that side that says, even perhaps, boy, this man was rather foolish. Why would you know going in that you're going to die? Why would you do such a thing? Why would you risk it? Isn't there some other way for people to know about Jesus You know, these are the kinds of stories, and I actually hesitated to share this story, but it was in the news this week, and I thought it was important to share because I think it really depends on us in our walk with the Lord, what we do with a story like this. Because often we lift people like this up, and we call all of us, in perhaps a a right way, to say, we should go wherever we're called. Yeah, we should. We should. But I think one of the things about this story that is important to me to look is that for me it's not so much where we're called but that how we're called and the way we're called and why what we believe. You see, we don't have to worry about where we're called if our hearts are set on the one calling us. You may be called to remote island. Maybe not. You may be called across the street. People are just as lost across the street as they are in the Abdomen Islands. But the question is not where we're called. The question is, do we hear the call? Do we listen to the call? I don't want us today to discount ourselves and say, well, well, Dan, you, you laid up this story. There's no way I would ever do anything like that. Well, first of all, don't count yourself out. Don't count God out. Second of all, it's not to compare to John. But it is to prick our hearts and challenge us to think about where are we called. We're not exempt from it. In fact, the book of Acts is Entire story after story set up on what it means to witness for Jesus Christ. And there were men like Stephen who was stoned to death. There were others who were not persecuted or martyred, but they shared their faith. From all of that, it's not a go and get killed for the sake of Jesus. It is go and share the message as a vessel, 
as a conduit for the gospel because people are lost. I want us to take a look in the book of Acts today and the setting of this book at the very beginning in chapter 1. So as you're turning there, I want us for just a moment to think about how is my witness? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have proclaimed Him as your Lord and Savior. Whether that was in an altar, whether that was uh, alone in a room somewhere in your home, whether that was with a dear friend. I want you to think about what has been your witness since that salvation. Let's pray. Father, as we come together this morning and look in this beginning scene of the book of Acts, really a continuation that Luke writes from his account in the Gospels. Lord, we see the birth of your church. And Lord, in that we see men and women who witness faithfully to what you have done and who you are. God, give us the fervor. Give us the, the zeal. Give us, give us the heart that wherever you take us, God, is that we would be a witness for you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So as we look in the beginning of the book of Acts, and you may know this about Acts, it's really a continuation in a lot of ways of the gospel of Luke. Luke is the writer. We know that from the very beginning. At one time in history, this was seen as one big book. Luke shares the beginning in chapter 1 in this book about this period of time when Jesus had already died, he had already been crucified, he had been raised from the dead, and in those 40 days the, before he was ascended into heaven with God the Father, there was this, this short season of his appearances over and over again to the disciples. And at the last appearance, they find themselves with Jesus once again. And they find themselves as Jesus them to share some things about going away. But he also shares with them about what is to come in their role in that. Verses 1 through 5 in chapter 1 really set up this particular occasion. In fact, 4, and this is not on the screen, but verse 4 says, On one occasion, while he's eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So here, Jesus is stirring them. He's giving a foreshadow of what is about to happen. So they gathered around him, verse 6 says. This one's on the screen. And they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? This is such a question that I think we would all ask. Now, we're not Jewish. We're not living in that time with Jesus. But if you remember, Jesus' promise as the Messiah was to come and redeem and restore. And his promise was to bring not only salvation but victory. They saw that victory as a victory over Roman rule. And so as Jesus begins to speak about him leaving, as he begins to share more about the Holy Spirit coming upon them, they're thinking in their minds, hey, we are just about there. This is what we've been waiting for. And so like all humans, 
what would we say? So when's it going to happen? Can you save us now? really, is an underlying theme here. Can you just do it now? Jesus, we are so ready. We're tired of Roman rule. Tell us. Just tell us so we can look forward to it. And they ask this question. I believe it clearly reflects often our approach to our lives right now. Have you ever found yourself saying, man, this is so hard to walk with you, Jesus, I, we, I know, I believe that you are coming again. Can you just come now? I don't know that that's a bad prayer by any means. I know for some, as they near the end of the life, Lord, just take me. Just take me. I don't know how, what purpose I have left. Just take me. You see, it's often we can't wait to get to that next thing. And what Jesus does in this setting is he reminds them what is to happen now. It's great to look forward. It's great to anticipate. That's what we do with Jesus, right? We can't wait and anticipate his coming again. We can't wait till we get to be with him at our death or his coming, whichever comes first. But in that, sometimes we push ourselves so much that we forget that we have a work to do right now. We excuse ourselves out of the work. We say, I've already done that work. And what Jesus says to the disciples in this response is his response, I believe, to us right now. You die. Don't worry what to do. Don't worry about when it's going to happen. Don't worry about when you're going to die. Don't worry about when Jesus is coming back. Don't worry about this. Don't worry about this. But here's what you do. And he says this in verse 7. He says to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. And in not so very subtle of a way, but what Jesus always does, he changes it and he redirects it and says, let me just tell you what's relevant. The relevant thing is that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see what he did? He said, let's just set aside all the irrelevant questions and all the irrelevant concerns. And let me tell you your present work. Let me tell you what is to happen now. And he says, I want you to share about me. We'll talk in a moment about witnesses. But he says, this is the purpose of God, of why I came in the first place, why I had to die, why God rose me from the dead, and why now I'm spending time with you, and why I'm going back to the Father. It is so that you all can reveal the plan that God initiated in sending me to this earth. That's what's relevant. I tell you, this is incredibly convicting to me because I think about a lot of things I spend my time and my energies doing, and it seems pretty petty. Now, that's between you and the Lord. I'm not here to judge that. But what I am here to say is what Jesus says here is we should be sharing the message about Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing. You will find tons of ways to do that, which we'll talk about shortly. But that's the purpose of the church. The church begins to flourish after this moment. The church begins to thrive. People come to know who Jesus is. Not just the Pharisees' version of Jesus, but the actual witnesses of his life. But also in this, 
these two verses, what Jesus does is he basically gives us a command. If you look back in Acts 10.42, you'll see an affirmation of the command that's given here. Some commentators, um, I believe, falsely would say that, well, this really isn't a command. He's just, um, it's kind of a prediction. No, this is a command. You will be my witnesses. Now, like everything with Jesus, we have a choice. But if we are going to claim to be followers of Jesus, we must accept his command and we must be obedient. You know, being a Christian and not witnessing to the gospel, to who Jesus is and what he's done in your life, it's kind of like being a football player and never going onto the field. It's ridiculous, isn't it, to think about it. To think about a basketball player who would suit up, would always be around other basketball players, would always perhaps gather in training, but never ultimately, not because they weren't picked, but because they chose not to, never ultimately go onto the court or the field. It's ridiculous. Well, you're not really a basketball player. You look like a basketball player. You spend time with basketball players, but you're not a basketball player. Or a doctor, let's say. A doctor who goes through the study, who learns, spends tons of energy and resources and times, and gains a degree, and never, ever, once sees a patient. That's what a Christian in who is who doesn't witness. It's a doctor who has incredibly good news, but never shares it with the patient. The prophet Isaiah says this, and we, we sang about this, and this is such a sweet, such a sweet verse. It's from Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news, the good news of peace and salvation, the news that the God of Israel reigns. This is the heart of feet devoted to going. The heart of feet devoted to going is this commitment and this practice to serving others beyond this place. doesn't mean we don't do it here. It doesn't mean we don't encourage each other here. We've talked about that. What it means, though, is that we are willing to go to anybody in any place if that's where God calls us. You don't have to go to a foreign country thousands of miles away to earn your stripes as a Christian to witness to the gospel. Sometimes all you have to do is go out your front door and across the street. Jesus says, this is our present work. So we go. We go. We go as witnesses. And a witness is simply someone who tells what he has seen, what she has heard, what they have personally experienced. I was reading from a book the other day by a guy I had never heard of before, uh, Thomas Hodd. Hodgden, I believe is how it's pronounced. And he says, there's two ways that we witness. And I thought it was really powerful. And I wanted to share this with you because we say this in a lot of different ways. But there's two ways in which we witness. And I think this is important for us because often what we say is, well, I don't know how to witness. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I believe it's built into our DNA as Christ followers. Yeah, you can take classes on evangelism. You, you can study the book of Acts as you should. We should together. 
but he always qualifies those that he's chosen. And it's not necessarily by man. This sounds a little weird. But the first way that this happens, we witness in separation. And this sounds a little weird. We witness in separation. And what this means is that we live a life differently. Your witness starts the moment you get out of bed in the morning. And that witness of separation is a life that's not secluded, that's not isolated. It's a witness to what it means to be obedient to Christ every day in everything. How do you in your job follow Christ? That is your witness. Do you get angry every time something goes wrong? There's somebody else around you who's angry and you're just tired of dealing with them. You see, witness of separation says our lives are different because we know Jesus Christ and we want you to know Jesus Christ and we want you to know of His saving power. We want you to know that in matters of confusion, of chaos, of conflict, no matter what, confrontation is that there is a way to follow Jesus in that. And I'm going to seek to do my best, you would say. We tend to, at times, excuse ourselves out of that and say, well, I'm just not going to do it perfectly. Give up on the perfectness, okay? I'd rather watch somebody being obedient to Christ and mess it up in their seeking versus someone who constantly sits back and says, you know what, I'm just probably going to do it wrong, so I'm not going to try. What if the disciples would have said, Jesus, I do want to follow you, but I'm going to stay right here. No. He said, follow me. Get up and follow me. It's what he modeled to us. Matthew 5, 14 and 16, you know this, these verses. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Is that all I put in there? I did. All right. In the same way, I'm going to go down a little bit. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, I don't even get the PowerPoint right. So we all mess up. Doesn't mean we don't try. Doesn't mean we don't do it. Dr. Campbell Morgan was an author and he wrote this about the difference people should see in us and the witness of separation even in our our frailties and our imperfections. He said what the world waits for today is the witnessing of transformed and transfigured lives. I believe that what humanity needs today in this sobbing, sighing and weary world is the manifestation of the sons and daughters of the king. And if you are living a life which is being transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ, by so much are you his witness. In other words, you don't have a choice. Let me tell you a secret. You're a witness. You're a witness. If you claim yourself a follower of Jesus, you're a witness. I know some of your stories. And I know the power in your stories. And it's not power because you did some magnificent thing. It's power because Jesus has lived in you and worked through you to share the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. You see, when we say, well, we can't do it and I'm not living perfectly. I don't really want people looking at me. What we're saying is, um, I haven't got it. I haven't done it well. See, we don't want people looking at us. We want people looking Jesus. 
Because it's in your failures where you model what it means to live a life of separation, a life of distinction in Jesus. You are one who's forgiven, not one who is shamed and guilted and beaten down. Because when we actually live like that, we reflect more of the world and less of the Jesus that we follow. People need to see it. You know that. People need to see it. Why do we witness as distinct people? Because we are the people of God and people are hungering for it. I believe more than ever, and I don't just say this because it's a nice little note in my sermon. I absolutely believe this world is hungrier than ever for Jesus Christ, but they don't know it. They don't know it. I don't know if there's been a time in history where people have been so hungry and so desperate and they're chasing everything. Help them see it. In the simplest of ways, we talked about this week, as last week, as we talked about hands devoted to caring. But I want you to imagine something for just a minute. This may sound silly and goofy, but let's suppose for a day, let's suppose for a day you did not speak, but you did all the things that you normally do in a day. And all you had to communicate with was the way that you lived and acted. What if you could not speak the words, Jesus Christ? What would you communicate? Would people just see a nice person? Or would they see a love overwhelming, a life transformed, where people would say, oh my goodness, what is it about them? That's the standard of Christ, my friends. It's not about John Chaw. It's not about any other world missionary or famous preacher. It's about your life and what God wants to do with it. But there's also this point where we are called to speak, and that's the second part of witness. It is proclamation. Some of you are so good at this. You have such a way of proclaiming Christ that absolutely amazes me. Because you learn to share your faith in your words. You do it in your actions, but you want to do it in your words. And so you speak intentionally. You speak in love, in truth, like we talked about a few weeks ago. Look at John 1, 1 through 3. This is the Apostle John, and he's speaking about this testimony that we have with our words. He says, that which was from the beginning, speaking of Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at it, and our hands have touched. So he's speaking of he and the other disciples, the other apostles who actually walked with Jesus, lived with Jesus. And he says, this we, what's the word there? Proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, and we testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life. You see, pause right there. We are not proclaiming us. We are not proclaiming how good we got it. We are not proclaiming all that our life is. No, we are proclaiming Jesus. But you can share about the pit that you were in before you accepted Jesus, and we were all there. Everyone was in the pit before accepting Jesus. Some are more dramatic than others, but they were all significant in the eyes of God. 
People need to hear, church. They need to hear. They don't only need to see, they need to hear. If someone walked up to you right now, they were standing at the doors of the church, and you walked out, and you met them, and they say, can you tell me why Jesus? Tell me, not for everybody else in this that, that's walking out these doors, but I want to know for you, why Jesus? Don't worry about your eloquent words. Eloquent words. Don't worry ab- ab- about being able to say it perfectly. But I challenge you this week sometime to take out a piece of paper and write down what would you say to them. There are stories after stories after stories of people's lives who were on the brink of death. They were ready to take their life or the Lord took them. And you... We have the opportunity sometimes as the very last person to speak to them. What if we approach people that way? I may never see this person again. Do they know about Jesus? Please don't look to just the more outspoken people in this church to share. They're going to do it. You're right. But they're just as scared as you are. They're just maybe a little better at covering it up because they're used to speaking in front of people you have a story to tell. You have a story about when you lost your spouse and how the strength of Jesus is the only thing that's walked you through. You have a story about a son or a daughter who's walked astray and the pain has been so significant in your life and you just don't know how you could have gotten through without the love and care of Jesus in your life. That leads us really to also how we go and that we go in the power of the Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. If you look through these first, especially these first chapters in the book of Acts, read that and look at the power of the Holy Spirit. We know the day of Pentecost in chapter 2, and there's speaking of tongues. There's all of these like really uh, flamboyant things and uh, shock and awe and wow, oh my gosh, all these things going on. People thought they were drunk. But I think the real power of the Holy Spirit is exhibited not only there, which we are all drawn to, because it's such an incredible scene. I think the power comes equally as you read through the book of Acts. A man named Saul, who was stricken down, a man who was killing people in the name of God, he said, but actually persecuting them and Jesus struck down, miraculously made blind, and then miraculously healed, and a heart that was radically changed. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, we've talked about living in us, reminds us that whenever God calls us, He always gives us the power to accomplish it. So if you're being called to a particular person, to a particular place, and let me just say you probably are, God's not saying, hey, hope it, hope it works out, figure it out. No, you go with my power. I tell you, this is an area of my life that I am really struggling to live in the Spirit. 
It is so easy, and you all know this, it is so easy to live in our own efforts, particularly the longer we do things that we're comfortable with. Think about a job that you started in the first couple days or weeks or months, and you're trying to figure it out, and you gradually get your way, and you start to feel like, okay, I'm starting to figure this out. When this happens, I know what to do. And what happens, the longer you work in that job, the more you actually feel like you have control over it, and in some ways you do. God has his ways. He has his ways of saying, it's really not yours to control. There's this scene in Acts 4. Peter and John have been doing everything they've been told not to do by the authorities. Stop talking about Jesus. They pull him in. The Pharisees want to get rid of him. And a wise man comes and says, no, you don't want to do that. Because if this is from God, you will not be able to stop it. But if it's not from God, it's going to fade out. It's going to, dis- it's going to disperse. It will be fine. And so again and again, Peter and John are out preaching God. His word. The message of Christ. In some very very common ways. It's not that they're always standing out in the temple courts. Sometimes they are. But sometimes in very individual, unique, one-on-one conversations. And they can't. what happens is that there is this welling up of the Holy Spirit that they can't control. Verse 20 of chapter 4 says, As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. Their life was being threatened. You don't say that if you're trying to control a situation, knowing that if you say that, you are going to die. That's the power of the Spirit. I'm going to let God deal with the results. I'm going to let God deal with the consequences. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to seek Him. What does that look like for you tomorrow morning? I know you likely have your day planned out. Where is the message of Christ in that? I know you seek to do that. And I want to encourage you that you go in the power of the Spirit. It's kind of the difference. This is such a crude example. You know, preachers are supposed to be good at illustrations. I tell you, when I start to try to illustrate something like the person of the Holy Spirit, come on. There is no illustration. My crude one is it's the difference between using a piece of sandpaper with your hand and a power sander. Very different. But that is so crude. But you get the idea. Francis Chan wrote a book called Forgotten God. If you've not read this book, and I have not read it, it's on my list, but I've written it, read, read excerpts of it. Some of you have read it, some of you have studied it in some of our small groups. Forgotten God, he's, it's a book about the Holy Spirit. He says this, The world is not moved by love or actions that are human, of human creation. And the church is not empowered to live differently from any other gathering of people without the Holy Spirit. But when believers live in the power of the Spirit, the evidence in their lives is supernatural. The church cannot help but be different, and the world cannot help but notice. That's the kind of person I want to be. That's what I want us to be. I believe... We have been in those places before. I believe we've been among those people where we have allowed the Holy Spirit to speak through us. 
my encouragement for us today is don't stop. My encouragement for us is if we're standing in the way of that, if we're afraid of that, explore that a little bit. Talk with a dear friend who knows Jesus. Come talk with me. Let's talk about how to move beyond your fear of living in the Spirit. Because when we live in fear of allowing the Holy Spirit to lead our lives, we probably will not witness, not with any power. But what it means is that it may take us places and to people that are the last places and the last people that we want to tell about Jesus. Yeah, I I know our hearts. I know that we want to do that, but it's scary, isn't it? I have someone in my family, my extended family, and as I'm working on this sermon this week, I'm like, oh, I need to do it. I know he knows I love Jesus. I know he knows. But I've shared with him who Jesus really is. No. Yeah, I've said some prayers at family gatherings, but I've not looked in his eyes and said, let me tell you about Jesus. But if we want to go to any place and any people, here's my encouragement. My encouragement to us is take the gospel wherever you go. Don't just put on the uniform on Sunday morning or at another church gathering. No, take the gospel wherever you go. Be that vessel, that conduit. I don't know how you remind yourself of that. Maybe you've got silly little ways that you want to do that that are private. But be a world Christian, whether it's outside your door or across the world. All are significant. All are necessary. Let your hearts be prayerful like the Apostle Paul says to the Ephesians. Where he says, pray for me. That whenever I speak, words may be given so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador and change. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly. Perhaps that is a prayer we should be praying for one another. A prayer that says, I'm going to take the gospel wherever I go. I'm going to look for any opportunity, but I'm going to take it. It is going to be a part of who I am. And I'm not just going to assume people know. I'm actually going to tell them. But here, I think, is the crux of this entire message. It comes down to this. Be eager and willing. Eager and willing. He doesn't call everybody to the ends of the earth, but He calls everybody somewhere. He may be calling you into a school as a teacher, as a staff member. He may be calling you into your place of work, wherever that may be. Be eager and willing. It will be hard, I'm telling you. It will be difficult. But you don't go in your own power. You go in the power of the Spirit. I think of the story, and this is not on the screen, but I think of the story in the book of Acts. And we talked about him a few weeks ago, the man named Philip. And if you read the story of Philip in Acts 8, what you read about is a man who was eager and willing. God said, Philip, I need you to go down to this area. What does Philip do? He goes. Philip, I need you to go over to that chariot. There's a man in there that I need you to speak with. What does Philip do? He goes. Now, we don't know the time frame and all of that. But what happens? There is this beautiful opportunity where this man, this Ethiopian eunuch, actually says, can you tell me? 
what Scripture says? Can you tell me about Jesus? There is no greater setup. I mean, imagine if everybody that you want to share the gospel with wouldn't have came to you and said, tell me about Jesus. I know you wouldn't hesitate. I know you wouldn't hesitate. I understand we have to understand where they are. But there's no place that Jesus can't go. There's no story that Jesus cannot be. Not just the subplot, but the be the main character. There is no life that is so far gone that can't receive the love of Jesus. But don't worry about the results. Just be willing and eager. I think as we look of this as a measure of Christ, where we measure often, instead of with Christ, we measure our effectiveness on, so how many people have come to know Jesus directly because of you? Let me just tell you, that's misguided for two reasons, I believe. Two reasons. First of all, it focuses on results and not faithfulness. It says, if I have ten, well, at least, least I don't At least I'm better than the person who's only saved five people. No, that's not how we count. I am faithful. I am faithful here and here and here. And that may be one, that may be 200. And you know what the other reason is? Because you can't know how many lives have been saved of people who faithfully walked with Jesus their entire life and people didn't come to know Jesus until that person was gone. Those are the funerals I love to do. Those are the funerals that I can stand here. Pastor Stan can stand here and we can say, you know what? We don't have to preach the gospel because this man, this woman did it with their life. That's the funeral I want to preach for you. I don't want to preach the funeral where I say, well, they came to church. You see, it's so much more than that. But don't do it for me to keep your pastor out of an awkward position No, do it because people need to know Jesus. And I know that's your heart. You wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't your heart. But devote your feet to going in whatever way he calls you. Romans 10, 14, 15. Let me leave you with this. Paul says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of the story of Jesus Christ. Not just a story, not just a history, but God, a man who was 100% human and 100% divine, sent by God to breathe life into us, given us. And now, God, we've been asked to give and to share of what he has given us. May we never be called stingy. May we never be called selfish when it comes to the gospel. May we never be known as isolated or reclusive when it comes to the gospel. God, you each of these men and women in the various settings with the various people in their lives use their unique gifts and talents and most importantly, the power of the Spirit 
you, Holy Spirit, in them. Bring the message of gospel of Christ to every person and every place we have contact with. And if we're not in contact with it and we need to be, God send us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.